It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yahoo! <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Hope you guys all had a great weekend. And today, we are going to talk about how many music libraries you should be in. Welcome to the big show. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to say that if you're not a subscriber yet, which I can't even imagine, but if you're not a subscriber, please click the subscribe button so that you can get notified when we do new stuff and when we go live. And if you like what you hear on today's episode, then please click the like button so that um, YouTube thinks that you love us, which hopefully you do. Um, all right, so... Oops, I need to bring down my level right here. <laughs> I'll just move the mic a little farther away. Uh, anyway, I get asked this question pretty frequently throughout any given year, and considering Taxi is now 32 years old, I think I've probably heard it, I don't know, a few hundred times over the years. People always ask me, how many catalogs do I need to be in? How many music library catalogs do I need to be in? And... Uh, there is no magic number. Um, there just isn't. Uh, people want to think that there's a magic number so that when they hit, you know, three catalogs or five catalogs or 17 catalogs that all of a sudden that, um, that the, the floodgates will open up and they'll just start getting all kinds of placements. But it's that's not how it works. Um, but as with many things in life, it's often best not to put all of your eggs into one basket. Uh, it's best to spread your bets around, and here's why. Um, let's think about this. I couldn't come up with a better example, so uh, I used oil wells. Um, I was going to use water wells. I thought, well, not that many people have multiple um, water wells, but oil wells. So if you drill one well and it's productive, could be that a year later, five years later, a hundred years later, however long, maybe it's five hours later, I don't know, the well could run out of oil. It's pretty rare that you see just one oil rig somewhere. You're bound to see, you know, five or ten or a hundred or a thousand. Um, and, and the reason being that when, well, they want to get as much out of the ground as they can, but also, if one runs dry, that you've got others to produce more oil. So I was going to have a successful taxi member or two join us today for the big show. Um, and I reached out to a couple who couldn't do it. And then I just said, you know what? They've already given me the answer to this stuff. So I went back uh, yesterday. I was working on the taxi uh, newsletter most of the day. And every time I needed a break, I would go watch a piece of a taxi TV episode with like Keith LeBrant in it or Matt Vanderbilt or Greg Carosa, you know, the usual cast of characters that seem to have done pretty well and, and was watching the episodes uh, either between breaks on the newsletter or during commercials a little later when I was watching some TV and I would put it on, you know, one and a half or two X speed and Bottom line is there there seemed to be no consensus on how many catalogs people thought you should be in. Um, you know, they, the answers ranged from five up to several dozen, I don't know, like 30-something. 
And also important is how many things did they have in each of those catalogs? Did they have, you know, three things in each catalog, 15 things in each catalog, 97 in one, 12 in another, 48 in another, who knows? What I did learn that I thought was really, really interesting was that some of these people, um, most of them actually seem to regret that in the early days of them trying to do mostly production music, instrumental uh, music for production music libraries, um, that they were wildly emailing anybody they could and, and most of the people that responded to them were of course not typically the, you know, the A-list companies, the catalogs you really wanna be in, but it was actually uh, the stock music libraries. Um, and I don't want to say anything derogatory about them. Uh, it's just, it seems from listening to stuff that's in their catalogs that the bars are lower and that they, uh, the quality bar is somewhat lower. And I think that in the early days of those catalogs, they really wanted, they wanted bulk. They wanted volume. They wanted a lot of music in the catalogs. So they would take pretty much everything that wasn't like just horrible. Uh, and therefore, they kind of earned a reputation as being not as good maybe as some of the A-list libraries. But again, you know, it's not like they're scammy businesses or something. Uh, and most of the music in those catalogs is for YouTube creators, other content creators. Um, so, but they regret that decision. And, and the reason that the taxi members who are now successful and have lots of music and lots of catalogs and get tons of placements, regret the decision that they put music in some of the stock music library catalogs early on, was, is because they don't get a lot of high value placements through those companies, nor do they make a lot of money through them. Uh, I was recently watching a video by somebody online that, you know, a guy that did a series about, I make $600 a month in stock music, uh, licensing and then all of a sudden I don't know if they changed you know a search algorithm uh, with these companies or what changed maybe because the pandemic is over and people aren't locked down at home that they're making less content therefore needed less music I don't know what the reasons are but it's been reported that income has dropped off significantly for people whose music is in those catalogs um, Okay, so as with many things, there, <clears throat> there are exceptions, certainly. But it's best to look at the big picture. So, you know, sometimes we get taxi members that say, oh my goodness, uh, you guys never forward me, but I reached out to a couple libraries on my own and, and now I've got a publisher. Uh, I should probably take the time to talk to each of those people and say, which publisher do you have? Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not that they got accepted by a stock music library. Like I said, there are always exceptions to everything. Um, but I think many of those people heeded advice that they got in one of the many courses that are online now uh, with people teaching them to reach out on their own. Don't use a middleman like taxi, which for some people may not be the way to go, but um, reach out to libraries on your own uh, and see who writes back. So if I can go slightly off topic here for a moment, while that might not be terrible advice, just coincidentally about five days ago, six days ago, uh, <coughs> sorry, I was sick last week. I'm still pretty congested. Um, 
Yeah, I may even have to blow my nose mid-episode today. Wouldn't that be exciting? Um, anyway, going off the, <laughs> off the reservation, I think I meant off topic for a moment. Um, <clears throat> I'm wheezy, too. I've spoken directly. Uh, oh, I was talking to a music library owner the other day about a completely different topic, and somehow we got on to the topic of him telling me that he's getting... Um, emails like every day now getting hammered with emails from people and that the emails are all using the same template and he's pretty pissed off that somebody out there is selling a list Uh, I think I know who it is somebody that's selling a course and it comes with a list of like hundreds of uh, uh, music library companies and the people to reach out to at those companies well Unfortunately, uh, what it's done is created quite a, a backlash. Of, of, I would assume this guy's not the only pissed off library owner that gets a bunch of these emails every day, and he says it's ridiculous. They all say the same thing or some close you know, variant of that same thing. People may try to doctor them up a little bit. Um, of course, people are attaching MP3s. Not everybody is doing the, the you know, here's a, a link to where you can stream it. And he said, I, I literally now just delete them because they've got similar subject lines or the same subject line. And he said that the music was just not worth listening to. So that brings up a point for me to make, which is it's always good to remember that you only get one chance to make a first impression. So on one hand, you could be getting a list of, of libraries and sending out your music. Is your music ready? Um, if you're a taxi member and you've been watching taxi TV and going to the road rally and being partaking in the forum and reading the newsletter and all that great stuff, your music might be. Hopefully it is. Um, but for the vast majority of people who aren't taxi members yet, I hope they join someday, uh, they don't know where the bar is. They don't participate in this community. They don't hang out on the forum. They don't watch the episodes where we all um, play A&R people together and they can learn to discern between good and mediocre or good and great. They're, they're kind of clueless and they're operating in the dark and yet they, they've got um, a loaded gun, which is the, uh, the email list and they send their music out fully expecting because they think their music is great. And it might be good, it might be pretty darn good, it might even be great, but it might also not be ready for prime time yet or it might not be in a format that production music libraries like. Uh, there are a lot of issues, a lot of ways to screw it up and that's why we spend so much time disseminating this information, trying to help you guys. Um, anyway, if, if for somebody who is doing that, that took that course and got that list and sending out the templated emails, so were thousands of other people who paid for that course. Um, so you're one of many and it, it's coming back to, to bite the people on the butt. Um, anyway, seems that many people who state that uh, that they're in a bunch of music libraries because they send emails on their own or oftentimes when I have asked them they go oh well and I, I don't want to mention the names of the companies because nobody's ever completely bad or good um, but they're almost all in stock music libraries not in like the A-list libraries that Taxi helps them get to which we vet very carefully by the way I think most of you guys watching the show know that 
taxi, we turned down customers or clients um, probably more often than we accept them. And when we do hear from somebody, um, sometimes it's us reaching out to them because we've heard good things about them. Uh, oftentimes it's them finding us and emailing and we do a complete background check on them. We want to know um, what kind of music they typically do, uh, how long they've been in business, what kind of placements do any of our more experienced taxi members know about these companies if they've been in their catalogs, what has their experience been like. So we check them out before we run listings for them. Um, there is one positive aspect, maybe there are more, but one that certainly pops out to me is the emotional aspect of having your music in any sort of catalog, um, whether it, it's a stock music catalog or an A-list library, and that is you can say to your family and friends or fellow musicians, I've got a publisher. Uh, and you know what? Validation matters. Um, I kind of wish that it didn't, you know, I wish we were all such perfect human beings that emotionally we don't need that pat on the back or some sort of validation, but it's not such a bad thing. Validation is good. Um, but maybe delayed gratification waiting to get into really good production music libraries and licensing companies that can get you really good placements, uh, maybe that delayed gratification is actually the better way to go. So all that leads me to ask you, and okay, guys in the chat room, pay attention now. Uh, <laughs> um, wow, you guys are busy today. Um, anyway, what are your goals? These are the things that you need to ask yourself before you kind of figure out what your magic number is for the number of production music libraries you want to be in. What are your goals? Um, do you have a full-time job and a busy life with, you know, little league practice and soccer practice and school plays and all, all that stuff? Uh, and therefore you're a weekend warrior, which is fine. I'm not saying that in any bad way. I would say the majority of our members are weekend warriors. So are you a weekend warrior? Um, are you a full-time composer? Did you start out as a weekend warrior and now you've become a full-time composer? because through your efforts and the Connections Taxi has helped you make over the years, you're in so many libraries and getting so many placements that you now earn more money with your music than you did with your day job, so you quit your day job. We hope that's the case. Um, are you looking to build an ongoing, ever-growing income stream, which, you know, this would be multiple income streams if you're in several too many catalogs. Um, and ultimately have a retirement fund, which you guys know, I'm not a financial advisor, but, <clears throat> excuse me, but I would certainly, um, from everything I've learned uh, by having financial advisors and using, you know, the, the investment guy at, at Wells Fargo and what have you, uh, I think that having music in several, if not many catalogs, good catalogs with good companies, um, is one of the greatest, maybe the greatest retirement plan ever. Because uh, the stock market going up or down or the bond market or the price of gold or silver, all those things don't really affect um, your income streams coming in from the use of your music. So even if you planned on retiring, like I'm going fishing and not making any more music at 65 years old, and if you do go fishing, you better invite me. I know, Andre, I'm coming, dude, I'm coming. Um, Anyway, 
why wouldn't you want an income stream that after you quit working still has another, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years of life to it, maybe long enough that when you're dead and gone, the, your heirs, your children, your grandchildren um, inherit that catalog in the income streams. I think it's a great way to go. So the question remains, um, do you understand the differences between an A-list music library and a royalty-free stock music library that typically they have huge catalogs, um, a seemingly lower quality bar, although I can't say that I've listened to every track in every one of their, every one of those catalogs, so I don't know that with absolute certainty. But I have listened to some stuff in many of their catalogs, and generally speaking, it's not quite as good as the stuff that's in the A-list catalogs. Um, and, and they probably, from what I gather, their they're customer base, their client base, the people who they aim to serve are typically like YouTubers and content creators, maybe for wedding videos, all that kind of stuff, rather than typically serving like big TV shows, big feature films, big TV commercials, that sort of stuff. So what are your goals? Think about that. You need to know what your ultimate goal is before you start thinking about how many catalogs you need to be in. If you're a weekend warrior and really you're looking for personal satisfaction and the ability to go, wow, you know, they're, they're, check that off my bucket list. I got some music in a TV show. You know, do you need to pound pavement and get your stuff into a dozen catalogs? Probably not. But if you want to be a full-time composer, probably yes. Uh, and if you want to be a full-time composer that maybe someday retires, although musicians probably don't retire well. Um, and I didn't mean that the way that came out. I mean that they would keep continue being musicians, that the, the chances of Andre Stepanian um, going fishing full-time and not making music, I think are pretty much nil. Right, Andre? Is he in the chat room today? I hope so. Um, Anyway, uh, so you got to kind of have a plan in mind before, you know, just don't arbitrarily say, well, I need to be in a dozen music libraries. Then the next question you need to ask yourself is, do you primarily do instrumentals or songs? Why does that matter? Because that's going to help you pick the right libraries. It's not a, there's not a magical number, but there are some, some catalogs that are going to be much better for you than others, depending on what you do. So if you do songs, why would you want to, and let's say you on occasion pitch an instrumental thing, and now you've got an instrumental library that a relationship has started with because of that instrumental submission, and you mention that you've got a bunch of songs, and they say, oh great, I'd love to sign those as well, let me hear them, or I'd be interested in signing those, um, and then they sign them. Is that really the right place for songs? So. There is that psychology behind all of this, which is validation. Um, they get me. They love me. They're going to put all their efforts behind me because they're paying so much attention to me right now. Um, they're pitching me. <sighs> Again, validation matters. It does. Everybody wants to feel validated. Everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants to get their music heard. Um, but don't assume 
that when any company signs you um, in the music library business, in the production music library business, in the film and TV music licensing business, it's not the same as getting signed to, let's say, a major record label and having a big time manager that helps you lock up that deal. And, um, you know, the image of the guy with the cigar chomping on the cigar with a wall full of gold and platinum records behind him. That's the record industry. Um, and in that case, they do hopefully champion you. Um, even publishers on the record side of the industry will pick up the phone and call people they know saying, I just heard a great song for this artist on your label. Um, or they'll call the producer on the next project. Um, it's different than the production music library business where basically they are sitting there with these catalogs that range from like 3,000 pieces of music up to maybe even a quarter of a million. I mean, there's one company um, that has a bunch of other companies signed to sub-publishing deals under them. And in total, I want to say, I could be getting this wrong, but I think I'm right that... Uh, and, and don't start mentioning the company in the chat because you'd just be giving that information away to people that might not use it well and might hurt the the uh, the macro reputation of all musicians. But that company, I want to say, has upwards of a million tracks if you include all, all the other catalogs that are under their umbrella. So um, how music libraries typically work is that they build relationships in the industry with be it music supervisors, editors working on reality shows, um, people at ad agencies working on TV commercials, video game producers, all those people. They build relationships, trailer houses, and those people that they have the relationships with reach out to the libraries asking them, do you have this kind of music? It's not that the library signs you today and then immediately start sending out your music to everybody making a TV show or everybody working on a TV commercial or everybody making a big Hollywood blockbuster feature film. They don't do that because 99.5% of the time when they do, those people aren't going to need that kind of music at that point in time. So it's not a push industry so much as it's a pull industry, meaning that they are servicing the needs of their clients, just like we are servicing the needs of the libraries when they run listings with us and, and we send them your music. Um, where am I going with this? Okay, so they, they, you know, libraries are not like that guy smoking the cigar at the record company. <laughs> Talk about a gross generalization, but I believe there have been a lot of those guys over the years. Uh, so basically your music remains on a shelf until somebody requests a certain style and then the music library goes into their catalog in that genre and they look at the particulars of the brief that they've gotten from the music supervisor, from the editor, whomever, and they pick the stuff. They don't send them everything in that genre. They pick the stuff within that genre that they believe best satisfies the needs of that person. Um, so that's how it works. So if you're offered a deal by a library, um, Dan, hang on to that question. I'm going to do a lot of Q&A at the end of this. And you know what? I've got to go make it a little cooler in here. I'll be back in 10 seconds.
we've actually got some warm weather this week. Uh, okay, so, but let's say for the sake of this discussion on how many catalogs you should be in or your music should be in, here's something everybody should do. If you're offered a deal, ask them these questions. Number one, and, and you know, don't do it in a way that's going to piss them off. Um, do it in a professional, friendly manner. Um, ask them, where do you get most of your placements? From non-scripted reality type shows, from scripted dramas, from big films like blockbusters, or do you do a lot of work with indie films or video games or TV commercials or stuff you would see in the History Channel or Nat Geo? Um, and here's why that matters. If a library that got your music through Taxi, now they're running a listing looking for something specific, and you supplied us with something that was specific to their needs and our screeners judged it as being something they should hear, we sent it to them. It might have been a one-off situation, might not have been, but it could have been a one-off situation where they had a client that needed that specific thing in very short order. Hey, Taxi, can you find us some of those? We don't have enough in our catalog to build a pitch list or we don't have anything that we're still proud of in our catalog. For myriad reasons, they run a listing. Um, but that library that you got forwarded to, let's say you got forwarded um, for a broken-hearted love song, acoustic broken-hearted love song. Now, if that library says, oh, you do instrumentals as well, and send me your instrumentals, and they listen and they go, wow, this stuff is really good. Um, should you send them a dozen instrumentals? Oh boy, they're gonna sign my 12 instrumentals? Maybe not. Maybe that library wasn't the right one. Maybe the majority of the placements they get are actually songs in, in scripted dramatic television or in films. Maybe they don't do a lot of work with instrumental tracks for reality TV shows, which are clearly the biggest consumers of instrumentals. So while that library loves you, and while you have an offer to, I've, you know, I've got a publisher, yay, you've got a publisher and they're all about me. It's an exciting, you know, it's like when you meet the person who becomes your spouse or a new girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, um, sparks fly. New relationships are fun <laughs> before they, they get old and routine, you know. Um, hopefully there's enough love and mutual respect that they last for the long term and you flourish together. But just saying <clears throat> that not unlike human relationships, the, the business relationship between a library uh, and you as a new composer on their roster and in their catalog, <clears throat> things could be exciting at first. Um, and then they can get a little boring down the road. So now you have signed potentially, um, let's say a dozen instrumental tracks in the library. has got a great reputation. Other taxi members love them. <clears throat> Sorry, like I said, was sick last week, still getting over the congestion. And um, so now you're gonna be a little ticked off at them because you've got those things sitting in their catalog and yet they're never getting licensed. And you're thinking, aren't they out there pitching my music? No, they're not. Remember, I told you they're sitting there 
waiting for requests to come in so that they can fill the request. That's just the way the industry works, and frankly, it's a pretty efficient um, method to the way they work. So it matters where you put your music. Just because somebody wants it, <clears throat> and they genuinely love it, and they want it, they might think, yeah, this is really high quality. I should put this in my catalog for that day stum somebody stumbles in the front door, figuratively speaking, and says, I need XYZ kind of music. I've got it. But wouldn't it be better off for argument's sake if it were in the catalog of a company where 90% of the work they do is with reality TV shows that we know use 85 to maybe 110 pieces of instrumental music per show? Wouldn't your music have a much greater chance of getting used if it's in that catalog? So to answer the question, um, how many catalogs should I be in? Well, you could be in 10 of the first kind of catalog where they primarily do song stuff for episodic drama kind of shows uh, and probably get far less placements by being in all those catalogs than being in one catalog that has two or three big reality shows and that use instrumental music all the time. So the question is moot as to how many catalogs you should be in. Um, do most of, so continuing on the, this thought process of, of what you should ask a library when somebody offers you a deal, ask them. Um, and they won't be offended if you don't do it like in an accusatory manner, like you're grilling them. Just say to them, uh, gotta ask, do most of your clients ask for instrumentals or songs? That's a very fair question. You should know that before you commit your music to their catalog. Um, you could ask them, do you have specific shows or clients that the majority of your placements come from? And if their answer is something like, yeah, actually, I'm really glad you asked that question because as it turns out, we've got these three reality shows and we supply a lot of the music for those shows. Um, I would even go as far as not talking to them about this, but do a little research on your own. Um, how long have these shows been around? If they're working on three reality shows that are all successful, they're hit shows, and they're like two years into their run or four or five years into their run, chances are they could run six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Um, I, I would put, I would bet money on that horse race because you want to be in that catalog because they have an existing relationship with a show or two shows or three shows that are somewhat early. They've established themselves as hits and they're somewhat early in their arc, how long they're gonna run. So you can bet that that library that you're considering signing with is gonna have an ongoing and bountiful need for instrumental music from those clients. Plus, that library has also earned a reputation as being a really good resource for those top reality shows, which means they could very well get other reality show clients. So that one library would be an excellent choice of a place to put your music. In a really perfect world, you could find two or three or four or five catalogs um, if you're doing primarily instrumental music that fit the description I just gave you, but you won't know if you don't do the research and ask the questions. Just because they've offered you a deal doesn't mean they're the right library. Just because they love you doesn't mean they're the right library. Um, 
you could ask them to make a ballpark guess. Don't tell me you need a specific number. And again, the tone of your voice is going to matter here and the way you ask this in an email even more so because they can't hear the inflection or the tone. How many requests do you get for this genre every year? Um, let's say that the stuff of yours that they're interested in signing is dramedy and you're really good at making dramedy music. And if they say, gotta tell you, dramedy is probably our single hottest genre because look at the shows we're on. Um, they, they have a lot of need for dramedy. Um, then that's a library you want to be in. Um, oh, look, I've already covered some of that material. Um, you could also ask them, you know, do you ever get stuff in TV commercials? If you're really good at making like emotionally upbeat pop punk or pop rock or cutesy hip hop, um, you know, not dark like streety hip hop, but fun, we're going out on the town hip hop. Uh, and you do songs um, with really simple but effective uh, tracks behind them that would be great for TV commercials. You could ask the library, um, how much work do you do with ad agencies? How many TV commercials have you gotten music in? I don't need a specific number, but are TV commercials a thing with you guys? Oh, yes, they are. Well, great. That would be a really good library for your music to be in if you do that kind of stuff. Um, you could ask them, here's another great question. Are you distributed by a major or do you have sub-publishing deals in other countries around the world? You know, it could be that it's a tiny little library offering you a deal and uh, maybe it's only a, you know, they've got a staff of one or two or three people. A boutique library. Boutique library may indicate small but doesn't mean they're impotent. Um, especially a boutique, boutique library that has cut a deal with like Universal Production Music and they've got distribution on a global basis to countries like, I don't know, Belgium, um, Uruguay, places you wouldn't even think about um, or go after libraries in those countries. You probably don't even speak the language well enough to communicate with them and don't assume that they speak English all that well. So. If you can get into a, a, a small library, a boutique library, that has a distribution deal with Universal, well, that means that the Universal catalog is then available on a global, global basis through the Uruguayan, um, say Uruguayan or Uruguayan, through the Uruguayan catalog. <laughs> Uruguayan sounds better. Uruguayan catalog. Um, not only are they pushing their music that they've got right there in Uruguay, but they're also representing the music that from all the other publishers or libraries that are under that universal umbrella. So being in a universally globally distributed uh, catalog via being in a boutique thing is great. That so dramatically improves the number of possibilities for people who would license your music on a global basis. I can't overstate how important that is. Same thing could be said for um, companies that go after sub-publishing on their own. Um, I know some of our music libraries that we work with and I have such respect for these people because on their own, they are hitting up multiple libraries per week in countries all over the world and cutting their own sub-publishing deals with them, meaning that they represent the music from the Uruguayan catalog in their catalog in America and the Uruguayan catalog represents 
that person's American catalog in Uruguay or Germany or Malta. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with some out-of-the-way places here. Um, anyway, uh, we're talking about gophers. I'm, I'm giving out great information, and you guys are talking about gophers. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> what am I going to do? Anyway, um, don't be afraid to ask these questions, but be sure that you're not doing it in a way that makes them feel like it's an inquisition or, you, or you're going to be a pain-in-the-butt composer. It's all about the tone of the tone of your voice if you're in a phone conversation with them or all the way you word it in an email. Um, on one hand, if you do that, if you execute those questions, ask them in, with the right tone, be it in print or verbally, uh, I think they're going to respect you and see you as somebody coming in their door that's about to enter into a relationship with them that has some professional level knowledge, and that's a good thing. You want them to consider you maybe not a seasoned pro, but at least somebody who's willing to put in the effort and the time to learn this stuff and ask professional-like questions. The next thing I would do when considering which catalog you might sign with, if you're offered a deal, is check out their catalog. Um, now you know the company's name because they've reached out to you and go Google, you know, the Lasco Music Library catalog and, and look at the genres that you do well. You don't necessarily need to look at the, the entirety of their catalog but look at the genres that you typically work in and what do you see? Or what do you hear more importantly? Uh, well, what do you see? Do you see that they've got nine dramedy tracks or do they have 47 or do they have 97? Um, those are important numbers to know. Um, listen to the music. Um, does it sound like dramedy from 10 years ago or does it sound like dramedy from a month ago? Uh, if a lot of the dramedy in there sounds like, ah, you know, some of those pitsy string samples sound a little dated, like they were done with a catalog, you know, sample library 10 years ago. Things certainly sound better now. Or maybe just stylistically, it, for, some, for whatever reason, it just doesn't sound that fresh, that lively. Or maybe they just had a lower bar 10 years ago. Maybe they were just starting out 10 years ago and they needed dramedy music and they took some that maybe they shouldn't have. Um, so now, gee, I, I would want to be in that catalog because you're the new kid on the block, the fresh face, the great new music. And when their clients go in there and listen, they're going to recognize the difference between fresh and better and older and not as good. Duh. I mean, they might need something that sounds a little dated. I doubt it, but they might. Um, so there you go. Be the new kid on the block. Um, and if there aren't a lot, you know, it could be that it's a relatively new library. That's why we tend to mention in our listings when it's a new taxi client, uh, we'll mention that it's a new taxi client because they've been through our vetting process. We know that they're not only kosher, we know that they're a pretty good probability for making you money if you end up in their catalog and that they've got a good reputation and you know all the indicators are that's a company I would want my music signed with so we turn you onto it. I don't make music by the way. Um, no competition from this kid. If they're a relatively new company and they're a little bit skinny in some of those genres 
it's a great opportunity for you to be among the first in those genres, among the most visible in those genres. So while they may be a new catalog and they are building relationships, frankly, most people that start a new music library already have the relationships. Maybe they worked for somebody else, went off on their own. Maybe they sold a catalog five years ago and now their no compete thing has ended and they're starting a new one. Whatever the case is, being early in a new catalog that looks like it's got a pretty high probability of being successful is a very good thing. That gives you a, a head start on building a relationship with, with that catalog owner and whoever's running the day-to-day -day operation. It makes you into a go-to composer. So take the time. If somebody offers you a deal, say, can I get back to you in 24 hours? Not 48, not 72, not a week later. And oh, dear God, don't do this. I was talking to another library owner um, last week, again, Thursday or Friday last week. And he said to me, uh, you would be really surprised by how many people, uh, even taxi members, that we forward to them and they do all the background checking and they look to you know make sure that this is somebody that they want to work with and they reach out and say hi this is michael from the michael lasco music library um and we got your music from taxi would be very interested in signing that piece and we're curious to know do you have other music in that genre that we should be listening to and these people don't even respond and apparently this is not a you know like one out of a hundred thing this is something that happens pretty often and i've heard this from several music libraries that we work with um let me see if oh no i shut down my email program um wow i can insert ads to earn money during a live stream yeah <laughs> thanks for the heads up there youtube um Anyway, um, I forgot the heck I was talking about. I got so excited about the possibility of making you watch ads that I make money from during the live stream. No, I wouldn't do that to you. It would break up the flow, break up the chit-chat in, in the chat room if you guys were getting distracted by commercials, right? Anyway, um, Oh, I was talking about taxi members, amongst others, that just don't even answer. So you've waited your whole life to have a career in the music industry, and taxi makes that a, a very strong possibility for you by forwarding your music um, to this company, and then the company reaches out to you, and you just don't even respond. Um, I've called some taxi members that I knew were in that scenario because the libraries told me who they were and, and the members like I was I was afraid they'd rip me off not even going to comment on that I'm sure that some of it lands in a spam folder you should always check your spam folder um, like take 30 seconds 10 seconds every day just look at your spam folder you might have the opportunity of a lifetime sitting in your spam folder and because you didn't check there once a day for a few seconds, you miss that opportunity. Uh, uh, all I could say is, uh. <laughs> um, so do you get the feeling that that company likes your music and that they're willing to add it, but it might not get a decent amount of action 
because that genre is just not something that's kind of central to what they do every day. Um, here, here's an example they typed out. Uh, your piece they want to sign is an orchestral hybrid. But they've only had one trailer placement in, in recent history, so it's not really what they do. They got one almost by accident, maybe, or maybe a previous music supervisor client now moved over to the trailer world, and that's where it came from. But do you want to put your orchestral trailer piece in that catalog if they just don't have that client base? No. So again, the number of catalogs you're in has very little bearing on how much money you're going to make. You got to pick and choose, place your bets wisely. Um, or it could be that they've just started, maybe they just rekindled a relationship with a music supervisor they used to work with on a reality show that now works on primarily um, trailers or promos for network TV. And they're like, hey, I want to work with you, meaning that the, the, the client wants to work with library, but you guys really need to beef up your, your orchestral hybrid trailer department here. You got nothing. You got like one or two things in there. So they reach out to Taxi and say, we need a ton of this stuff. So that might be a good bet, but you won't know these things if you don't ask the question, if you don't look at their catalog, if you don't do some research. Don't get excited because they love you. You know what? Um, my favorite, well, maybe not my favorite thing my dad ever told, told me, but one of my favorites, uh, he said to me at some point early in my kind of adult life, I think I was in high school, and he said to me, um, don't fall in love with the first girl you kiss. <laughs> Take that any way you want. Um, you know, not terrible advice. Just because somebody will give you some attention back or show you some affection in one form or another doesn't mean that you have to fall in love or get married or be locked into that one person. Might go that way, but maybe it shouldn't. So same thing is probably true. So how many catalogs should your music be in? Several, maybe many but you should make every effort you can to make sure that you're going into the right catalogs. Um, as, as is the case with many things in life, quality almost always trumps quantity. Um, so that said, now I have plenty of time. I'm, I'm excited. We've got like 45 minutes to answer questions. Um, also want to let you know, and I'll remind you before we duck out of the, the show later on, that next week, what am I doing next week? Oh, next week's show we're going to do using loops to create production music. Kosher? Not kosher. Um, I'm still trying to figure out. I'm going to get a guest for that one. Maybe a music attorney, maybe a library owner. I don't know. Um, and again, I want to remind you, if you're not a subscriber, please hit the subscribe button. Um, if you haven't give us, given us a like, um, I'm going to send Marion Laird directly to your house. She's going to be knocking on your door with a rolling pin in her hand, getting ready to whack you upside the head, go, why didn't you give him a like? Go for it, Marion. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, it is time for some Q&A with you guys. I hope you learned something from all that. Um, I enjoyed researching it. So if you're going to ask a question, for those of you who are new, and I see I actually see some, some new things in there, um, 
type the word question in all caps just because it makes it easier for me to see when things are flying by in the chat. And Glenn Ruger says, I always wait for Marion's plea. <laughs> Uh, Marion says, and that just got us a bunch more likes, Michael. Thank you, Marion. Um, I always appreciate your enthusiasm and, and your um, nudging people to give us likes. I really do. Much appreciate. So here's a question. Oh, from Don Holtzinger, the gentleman asked a question before. What happens when two or three catalogs pitch the same track? Isn't that the reason to not be in multiple catalogs? Um, and, and I'm assuming there that you are talking about... Um, uh, a non-exclusive thing. Um, it's conceivable. Honestly, for as many years now, at least 10 years, I would say at least, that non-exclusive has been a thing in the music library world. Um, and a lot of people poo-poo it. There are some valid reasons to not love it, and there are some reasons to love it. Um, I have not heard of too many conflicts where the same piece of music under three different titles from three different catalogs landed on the desk of the same supervisor. Um, now, it could very well happen, and I'm sure it does happen. I haven't heard any horror stories or disasters. I've heard of some things where it got a little uncomfortable, a little clunky, maybe a little embarrassing, maybe a little, not even terse, but you know, it's a little like my armpits are sweating a little bit over this one kind of thing. Uh, had to throw a visual cue in there. Anyway, um, usually things are resolved in some gentleman-like fashion, um, like whoever crossed the transom first with their pitch, even though I got two others, first one over the transom wins. Um, sometimes maybe that decision is made because they've got an ongoing relationship, cozy relationship, a friendly business relationship with a certain library and they don't know the other two all that well, so maybe they go, okay, well, that company got it to us, so we're going with that one. I don't know, it, it hasn't been a major problem. Um, I'm sure it has in some small way in probably some situations that I haven't heard about, but I do have my ear very well to the ground. I know a ton of music library owners and really follow the industry as a whole. I haven't heard of a lot of major complications. All right, uh, let's move on. Do I have any suggestions on the best ways to research a music library? Yeah. Um, it, it's everything I just said. Google is your friend. Ask other members privately. Don't ask it in the forum. Um, you could say, I'm about to sign with the music library. I think some of you may already be signed with that company. Um, can you private message me? Let's chat. And you could ask them, how's your experience been? Um, do you know if they do more instrumentals versus songs, blah, blah, blah. And there's some, some catalogs that do a lot of both instrumentals and songs. Um, so yeah, I don't think I have better advice than I already gave you, Marion. Here's one from Ruth Hertz Weber. Um, what is your advice on asking for a reversion clause for an exclusive deal? I may stand alone in this opinion. This is totally my opinion. Um, nobody else has said this and made me think, oh, I'll go along with their thinking on this. Um, I get, I, I'm on email lists for many music libraries, as you might imagine, and there's one of the bigger libraries that pretty much every week I get at least one, if not a couple or a few emails from them 
saying, uh, if you have this song or this track or these songs or these tracks, um, we are no longer in partnership with the creators of those things. Please delete them from your catalog. And every time I see that, I go, ooh, excuse me. If I were an actual user of your music, am I going to follow your weekly prompt to go into these giant lists of music that I've got from many companies, not just yours, many, um, and go, okay, so now I've got to search Tommy kicked a ball and delete. And Susie plays the harp and delete. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, it's going to piss me off, frankly. So <clears throat> that makes a pretty strong case for not doing reversions. Now, putting myself in the shoes of the people who actually write the music and record it and produce it, um, yeah, you know, if somebody hasn't gotten a placement with your music, it would be sweet to get your rights back so that you could then go put it, try it in another catalog. So there are really valid arguments on both sides of the coin. Um, honestly, Ruth, I don't know that you're going to be able to convince somebody that doesn't do reversions to do a reversion. Um, maybe if you've got, you know, like 50 pieces of music in their catalog that have made them a lot of money over a period of time and you are kind of a rock star in their world, maybe you can negotiate the terms of their contract, but they don't like to generally do that. Here's why is then, you know, if they've got 3,000 composers of various types in their catalog, they would kind of like to know that the contracts are standardized because then if everybody's got a slightly different version with slightly different deal points, who the heck could ever remember that? Even a record label, you know, that might have 100 acts on their roster, <clears throat> um, they try and keep things fairly standard, although I don't think they succeed nearly as well as production music libraries. So all that said, um, you can always ask, do you guys have a reversion? Um, and know that the ones who don't, I don't think their intent is so evil. Maybe there's some evil people out there, but I, I think that there's kind of a, a myth that's been propagated by the old record industry that everybody in the industry is out to either rip you off or harm you in some way. I don't find that to be the case with production music libraries and film and TV licensing. I, I just don't. I know so many of these people and I know so many of you that have so many deals and so many years of experience with all them. And, and I just don't get reports from knowledgeable people. There are some that are new that don't know any better and think they're being ripped off. And then when we've looked into it, go, oh, okay, you weren't being ripped off. Nobody's trying to cause you any harm or hurt you in any way, shape, or form. You just didn't know that this is kind of a standard thing in the industry. So all that said, um, you can certainly ask and you can certainly make the choice that you would only put your music into catalogs that have a reversion in there. Uh, obviously, the more attached you are, maybe the more effort you put into a piece of music, the longer it took you to make it, that would be pretty good motivation for asking for a reversion. Yeah, you'd hate to give up your rights for no you know, cash advance, if you will, um, and have the music just die in the vine inside of somebody's catalog, which all makes a really strong case for doing everything that I've told you in this episode about picking which 
library catalogs you want to be in. Don't be surprised by what they are, or how they work, or how they conduct business. Know that before you sign on the dotted line. Do your due diligence because they've done their due diligence on you before they've offered you a deal. And please, dear God, answer the emails. Um, so I hope that helps. Um, Wow, Charles Wilson, it took me three years of forwards before I got my first library contract and placement. It will come if you're getting forwards. Hang in there. Thank you for saying that, Charles. Um, I, honestly, we don't get a lot, but we get some emails from people go, you know, are you guys for real? You guys are forwarding my stuff all the time. Um, somebody who I like and respect uh, that does a YouTube show said, I've had nine pieces forwarded now over a period of how uh, three and a half months and, and nobody's offered me a deal yet um that's just nine pieces of music out there uh, and, and it's funny usually the people that ask the question they're getting a little like they're poking us you know hey taxi what's going on come on are you guys really forwarding me are these companies really looking are they even real companies yes they are because you can see all the people attack your fellow members that are signing deals and getting placements through them um sometimes it just takes a while and then inevitably shortly after they ask the question somehow it seems like the floodgates open and they start getting uh, multiple offers and then the placements start to come so I, I don't know why that is but it's a little embarrassing when it does happen because they think that we picked up the phone and called the library and said make sure you sign tommy jackson because he's getting a little antsy uh, we we don't have that kind of juice even if we did have that kind of juice, maybe we do, and I'm just unaware of it. I, I would never make that phone call or make that request. Um, it's just not the way we do business around here. Uh, let me go back, see if I missed anybody else. Okay, I think I'm good there. Whoops. Sometimes it just jumps. Yeah, Will Derryberry commented, hey, Will, how are you? Nice to meet you finally at the rally. 95% um, of my songs are in exclusive agreements. Seems as though more libraries are going uh, the direction of exclusive. They are. Um, they absolutely are. And that's because the networks want them to have exclusive agreements um, for myriad reasons, one of them being getting the same piece of music from three catalogs than having the, the libraries fight over who should make the money on the placement. Um, let's see, looking for other ones. Um, somebody asked if I have an opinion about music library report. Um, I do, but I don't want to say it in front of a camera. I will say that I think that how people rate the libraries is almost entirely based on did they love my music. If they love my music and offered me a deal, then they're a great library. <laughs> um, Andre is making a very valid comment. I think collaborating with others gets you in a lot of other libraries that you might take a long time uh, to be dis to discover or never get in at all. That's true. 
Um, Jeff LaPlante, if a library never signs any taxi forwards over an extended period of time, will taxi stop working with that company? Um, does taxi track that date at all? No, this is a whole big thing. Um, we don't know who they sign, frankly. Why is that? Because the libraries don't want to take the time to let us know because if they're not pitching, they're not making money for them or for you. And coincidentally, our members don't tell us when they get signed by these companies. It's extremely rare um, that our members over 32 years have told us. Uh, we just found out about somebody had a $40,000 sink fee on a TV commercial with more money coming down the pipe or pike on that one. Uh, and the member never mentioned to us uh, in the library is just now mentioning it to us, but nobody ever tells us anything. Um, so we don't know what they signed, but believe me, if we were forwarding music to libraries that never sign any taxi members, we would hear about that. Um, and like I said, we vet them before we run listings with them. So we know that they're legit and, and they're reaching out to us asking for stuff. They've got to have a pretty good reason. They're not doing it. Why would somebody run a listing if they weren't legitimately looking? To waste our time, to waste your time, to waste their time? No, they're looking. Um, and frankly, if they got music from us on the first, we always tell them the first time we work with a company, it may take us a cycle or two or three of working together for us to kind of get a feel for where your bar is um, and, and just get a feel for you as a company. It doesn't always go 100% smoothly the first go around, although I will say the vast majority of times it does, but we do let them know, hey, we're starting a relationship. You know, we need to like, do you floss at the table in the restaurant? Um, <laughs> with any kind of relationship, you kind of search for equilibrium. Um, so I, I don't think, Jeff, that there are any libraries that never sign any taxi forwards. Um, by the way, uh, I've mentioned this before, just so you know, um, the libraries are so bad, as are the members, about telling us about signings and placements that um, we are now offering a $2,500 plane ticket anywhere in the world. Uh, we are sending out an email on a monthly basis. Hey, libraries, uh, tell us about placements you've had with taxi members. And for each one of those placements, even if they send us a list of 10, we cut it up into 10 strips of paper, figuratively speaking. Uh, we will actually do that at the end of the year. We will put them all in a hat. We will shut our eyes on a live Zoom with all of our library clients. We will pick one out and whoever gets picked, obviously the more things you tell us about, more placements you report to us, the more chances you as a library have of getting picked. Uh, you get a $2,500 plane ticket anywhere in the world. Compliments of your friends at Taxi. So that was our effort to inspire them to tell us about placements. And frankly, we just started doing this recently and we are in shock about how many awesome placements our members are getting that our members never tell us about. Never, well, I shouldn't say never, rarely. Almost never when you consider that we've got thousands of, of members and we hear about a couple handfuls every month. Just, oh, you guys. Um, yesterday I was working on a taxi newsletter and, and I was doing a, uh, 
an edit on the, the member success story thing. And I just look at these every month when I do it and go, um, we practically have to pry these people, uh, pry these things out of people's hands. I mean, we might see a little mention of it on the forum. Um, and, and you'd be surprised how many people we reach out to that mention it on the forum and we email them and say, hey, we heard you got a deal, congratulations. Um, thanks for letting us know. Uh, <laughs> and they don't write back to us. So maybe stuff is going into spam. Maybe they're just like, oh my God, the real world is trying to reach out to me. It scares the hell out of me. I don't know. Don't know. Um, I'm looking for the next thing. Here's one. Um, Oh, I answered that one already. Okay, scrolling down. Yep, Libby Harrison's right. We actually had the world record at Taxi as a member whose music was forwarded seven years ago, finally got the call from a library. Why is that? Because the day they ran the listing with Taxi, they had an immediate or short-term need. They filled the need with something in their existing catalog or for whatever reason, they, didn't, they no longer had an urgent need to look at the file of stuff that we sent them because they ran a listing. However, we do track when they open the stuff. I just had a conversation with Tom, our head of A&R this morning about this. We look, because we send stuff in Disco, we can see if they've streamed it, and we can see what they've downloaded. So we know that if a company, we usually give them like two, three weeks, maybe at the outside, 30 days. And if they haven't opened it or streamed it or downloaded anything, we send them a follow-up or give them a phone call and say, dude, dudette, whatever you are, um, you asked for music, we sent it to you. Could you please check it out? And usually they go, oh crap, I just got so busy, I forgot. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, it happens rarely, actually, just so don't get worried about that. Um, there aren't a bunch of thank you notes uh, in the forums for placements. It, it, it's quite astonishing. We've changed literally thousands upon thousands of lives, and I don't want to get whiny about it, because I understand it. People get excited. They tell their mom, their dad, their sister, their brother, their wife, their kids, their husband, their first cousin, their music teacher from grade school, their former bandmates. They tell everybody but us. And you know what? We're, we get paid to do our job. They don't have to tell us. Um, we wish they would, but it's been this way for 32 years. It, it's rare that anybody tells us. Um, Let's see. Wow. I'm at the bottom of the list. Have we run out of questions, you guys? Maybe we have. We could end a little early today if you'd like. Any more questions or should we end it early? We don't have to go for a full 90 minutes. It's not like some YouTube law. Um, there are a few more questions in there. Marion, I went back, but I could have missed some. Um, yeah, we Taxi has never gotten a piece. Um, we just don't. 
Marion's now frantically scrolling. Here's a question again from Jeff LaPlante. Um, can you automate an email to composers to let them know that the cues were played on disco? We couldn't automate that. Um, we would have to have somebody go into disco on every single forward, of which there are a lot, and, and let them know. But just assume that they are, because it's so rare that they are not. And when they are not played on disco, streamed through disco or downloaded, we actually, you know, pinch them on their tushy to say, come on, dude, listen. And like I said, I just talked to Tom about this this morning. It's not the first time we've had the discussion, but this is like an update to it. And he said, yeah, it's really rare. Um, so assume, look, they've requested the music. I know people want to know, did I get hurt? Did I get hurt? Because if I got hurt, they certainly would have loved it. But there are you know, just a million reasons why they may not have reached out yet. Um, we could do a whole, I've done that. I've talked to that stuff all the time. Uh, I've talked about that many, many times. Uh, what is the next newsletter? When is the next newsletter going to post? It is going to go out. Um, I just handed off all the elements to the final editor last night at 8.30 p.m. Los Angeles time. Did I work on a Sunday? Oh, yeah. Um, so today's the 24th, I would say by the 27th. Let me look, as long as things are a little slow on the questions right now, let me look and see if I can find uh, here we go. Okay, these are the nine that I did yesterday. Eric Anderson got his first international placement. Um, started with Taxi in late 2020, and I now have music in three really good libraries, all of which are showing results. Um, Bob Meddy, who has been a longtime member, makes great jazz stuff, great piano player, hardworking guy, full-time job, is in the air several times every week. He flies all over the country for his day job, still finds time to do music in the background and has a lot of great placements. Um, he's had two placements recently on Amazon Prime and on the Freeform Network. Um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and a show called uh, on Amazon Prime and Good Trouble on Freeform. Um, and thank you, Bob, for always letting us know. Um, Listen to this one. I'm just going to read this one to you. Uh, Brad Miller from Shakopee, Minnesota. Brad has had some really exciting news. A and this is quoting him. A little over three years ago, I was fortunate enough to sign with a very busy high-end production music library due to a taxi forward. Initially, it was for two to three songs. However, I was able to complete multiple albums for them over the last few years while expanding what genres I was able to produce music in. As a result of my taxi membership, I've had over 600 placements, 600 placements, just this past year on several networks, including Discovery Plus, Peacock, Amazon Prime, AMC, Reels, CBS, Fox, NBC, NBA, NHL, ESPN, TNT, USA, and Sirius XM, just to name a few. 
Taxi has definitely paid off for me. Michael's guests on Taxi TV were very helpful to me when I was trying to start writing in different genres. They always had great advice on how to approach writing for a new genre and what to expect from libraries when you get your music signed. Wow. Um, so my response was, wow, thanks for letting us know about the 600 placements, Brad. And I wasn't saying that sarcastically. Um, but 600 placements, and we just heard about them now, over a year. Just saying. Uh, you know, with thousands of members, how many other stories are there out there like that? Uh, Uwe Schei from uh, Norway, who was a regular participant in the quarantine happy hours during lockdown. Uh, never met Uwe, uh, I don't believe, in person at the rally or anything, but I love the guy. He was part of our family during, uh, as many of you were, uh, during the lockdown. Um, here's some really cool news about a placement in a Vodafone TV commercial. Uh, August of last year, my breakthrough was my breakthrough year with Taxi. I landed music in three episodes of TV show The Con running on ABC and Hulu. After that, another placement came through. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's a little bit long. Uh, landed placement through a publisher I got in contact with through Taxi a couple of years ago. Worked on several projects with him. He reached out looking for some 50s music for a commercial. Uh, I was actually at a pub drinking beer. Good job. When I got the email and it was kind of urgent, the next day I started working on music for the TV commercial. I just found a typo that I missed in my edit and sent it off to the publisher. A couple days later, I received an email saying it looked like, quote unquote, my track had been picked. Changes needed to be done to make it fit within the video. And at last I got an email saying they're going to use it. And the client is Vodafone, a huge worldwide company. Needless to say, this never would have happened if it wasn't for Taxi. The publisher is a major player. Thanks to Taxi, I've been able to get a relationship with, over, with him over time. As we speak, I'm working on a new project, same publisher for another huge client, uh, maybe another big placement on the horizon. So what's the deal Uwe writes about Taxi? You make connections, of course. Uh, English is not his first language, so I love I, I just love the fact that he worked so hard to write this stuff. Um, that maybe the most important thing to pay attention to the submissions, uh, pay attention to the submissions that don't get forwarded. The screeners are top notch, and you have to pay attention to the feedback they're giving. This has been the hard way of learning for me. If your submitting isn't good enough, deal with it, learn from it, and repeat. Uh, I recently renewed my taxi membership, and it was a no brainer. So, there you go. Um, and nobody reads these. Very few people read the newsletter. So frustrating. Um, this is from Adam Kenyon, Sand Lake, Michigan. Uh, I want to share that through some taxi listings, one of my late grandfather's vintage, he represents his grandfather's catalog, uh, vintage recordings, uh, used up so the Peacock Network series, Poker Face, and an Apple Plus TV series is playing to use another of his recordings in a show called The Big Door Prize. Um, Holland Nelson got 20... Oh, no. Uh, Holland Nelson. Bunch of stuff signed to a catalog, a library, um, a really great library that we just started working with the last few months. Like... That library has so many huge, like mega songs. 
uh, in there and, and they're running listings with taxi because they want to expand into the indie music side of the the world um here's one from brent isom st joseph missouri uh signed an agreement for 13 tracks to a music library uh, third deal of the music library resulting from music forwarded through taxi um, matthew guff um, three tracks on an album of james bond lullabies and he, he i'm gonna paraphrase this for you uh he actually didn't go for the biggest james bond themes he went for the stuff that was like you know the b-sides and was successful because he knew everybody else would be doing uh covers of, of the a-sides um so three out of the 12 tracks on the james bond james bond lullaby um compilation that this company put out are his so good job on that thank you uh congratulations for being strategic and how you submitted i think that was really smart um This is from Michael Torregano Jr. in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, first time, I just completed my first album for Music Library. It's my first time composing anything in this genre. And I wouldn't have ever thought to write in this genre had it not been for a taxi listing. The crazy thing is, I have submitted to this company several times on my own and never received a reply. I guess that's the magic of being a taxi member, being able to see what music libraries are currently looking for so I can submit music that they need. I'm excited about having a new library to build a relationship with over the coming years. It's the second deal I've signed because of Taxi Forward. I composed 10 tracks for a taxi listing, five of which were forwarded to the library. Um, and they reached out and asked him to do a 10 track album. He was able to use the feedback on the tracks that were returned to revise the tracks, submitted them to the library. They listened and signed all 10 tracks. So there you go. Um, these are the things that we don't hear about all that often. We're extremely grateful when we do hear about them from our members. And then I can't tell you how much time and how many people are involved in following up with the members, getting the first draft of those things, um, editing them for punctuation because people now type emails that are 300 words long like they're sending a text with an ellipsis. Literally, I've gotten some with an ellipsis after every sentence. No capital letters, no proper names for anything. The word taxi misspelled. Just, and we have to spend time, usually I spend time editing these things. Um, and then hand them off to a professional editor for one more pass. Uh, and then they have to be put into the newsletter. We have to request a picture from the member. We have to get logos for the companies they've signed with. We go to all this trouble and put out the newsletter uh, that this is, you know, the member deals or success stories, just one element of the newsletter. And we get a very small number of people that actually read the newsletter. Why do we even bother? But you know what? We want to give credit to the people um, who are getting deals and getting placements. And frankly, what we've heard from those people is when you get featured in the taxi newsletter, other strong, successful members um, reach out and say, hey, we should collaborate. And, and it's like they double the number of deals that they get because of the collaboration. So there is a tremendous advantage in letting us know and being out in the world where people can know about your success. Not to mention the fact 
there are several, if not many, library owners, and probably I can think of one music supervisor that looks at our forum and reads our stuff. And it, it's amazing. Um, sometimes people say dopey stuff uh, <laughs> in the forum, and, and the library owners see it. They know. Um, how do you misspell taxi? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know it's one of nine words in the English language that is used in virtually every country around the world? Um, how does a taxi member get the newsletter? By being on our email list. Um, Non-members get it. People who are on our inquiry list. Everybody who's on, we've got, um, I want to say 109,000 and change people who have not yet joined Taxi on an email list. They've opted in, and those people get that. Um, this is a great question from Timothy Cook. Does diversity in your offerings dilute your own brand, i.e. what you're best known for? Um, I wouldn't come out of the gate. You know, I've always said this for as long as I've been in the music industry, which is approaching 50 years. Oof. Um, I did start very young. I started when I was three. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you meet somebody, let's say you walk up to a panelist that just came off a panel at the road rally, you're at the bar in the lobby at the, at the hotel and you're grabbing a beer and, oh, look at that, there's a panelist staying next to me. Hi, my name is Michael. Saw you on the panel. Oh, that's great. Thanks for saying that, uh, that you enjoyed the panel. I hope it was fruitful, blah, blah, blah. What kind of music do you do? I do it all. I do rock. I do pop. I do jazz. I do pop R&B. I do hip hop. I do country. I do bluegrass. Uh, I do death metal. I do it all, man. I can do all of it. They immediately have a little bubble, like a cartoon bubble above their head thinking, amateur, rookie, don't believe him or her. Um, it's best to establish a relationship that's based on one or two things that you're really good at. And after you've earned their trust and respect, then you can say, by the way, I can probably do that other, let me do something for you in that other genre, see what you think. Um, anyway, uh, so there you go on that. Um, If you do all those things, drip that information out slowly. Like I said, if you come out of the gate really quick with that, it's going to disqualify you. Um, because generally speaking, people aren't great at many things. They're usually good at a couple or a few. Drip it out. Earn the respect. Uh, Harvey, if you get the listings, you are getting the newsletter. It comes from the same email address. Um, usually the, the, the newsletter goes out between the 26th and 28th of the month, I believe. Um, we are sending out a standalone email um, that's just going to be those success stories uh, or some other recent ones. Excuse me, we're doing a little experiment probably later this week. 
It might even fall into next month, depending. Our email schedule is pretty heavy, as you're well aware. Um, Martin Gravel says, better to not vomit versatility. There you go. Um, yeah, Harvey, if, if you're, trust me, that newsletter is in your box somewhere. Um, you can also look on the Taxi website, taxi.com. Go to the homepage of our website here. Going to walk you through it. So if you are on, ooh, we're almost out of time, taxi.com. Um, and as soon as you go to the page, you'll see Keith LeBrant, who I invited to be on the show today, but he couldn't join me, holding his guitar. He loves guitars. And there's Matt Vanderbow with his shirt on. Um, and you see it, kind of in the lower right-hand corner, little yellow words that say, see more success stories. If you click on that, then it's going to bring up two round circles. One says our most recent deals. Another one says taxi members forum. Click check them out under our most recent deals. And then just start scrolling. And what you'll see is 49 pages of deals. Um, and those are just the ones that we hear about. Matt Vanderbilt with a shirt on. That's got to be a collector's item. Yeah, Matt, uh, one of our most successful members, and he's just the nicest guy, really smart, really just a happy, outgoing, super outgoing guy, and he has taken up bodybuilding. And at the road rally, he was wearing these very skimpy little shirts that barely covered anything, showing off his newfound sun bronze body with all kinds of muscles. Um, it was pretty funny, but you got to love Matt. Anything he does, he does with his whole heart, man. He puts every ounce of energy. This is a guy who, when he first time he pro fired up Pro Tools and he got the splash screen, he goes, what do I do now? Didn't even have a keyboard, a, like a piano keyboard, a MIDI keyboard, nothing. He was literally making music using his QWERTY keyboard that you type letters on. And here we are, I don't know, like roughly 10 years later, and he's definitely in the upper echelons of high earning taxi members because he just took it seriously and took a very business-like approach to it and wanted to learn everything he could. And he's done very, very well for himself. All right, you guys, uh, if we have no more questions, questions. Uh, we can close shop and turn the open sign around so it says closed. Um, and I will see you. Oh, and there we go. Gloria Covington just in under the wire. Uh, if they can hear your music in a disco playlist, is it safe to say you are good at multiple styles and genres? Um, Honestly, it's kind of like a rooster preening its feathers or a male peacock preening its feathers. Do you, you wouldn't be the only person doing that, Gloria. It, in my opinion, it comes off as being a little desperate and amateurish. The day will come 
when they will find that out about you. Um, it's kind of like, God, I don't know why I always choose um, romantic relationships <laughs> for my examples, but this one just popped in my head. Uh, you meet a girl at a bar. Um, you meet a member of the opposite sex. I'm trying so hard to be politically correct. I, I screw that up every time. Anyway, you meet a person at a bar, and you're feeling a little frisky. They're feeling a little frisky, and things may progress down the road after you've had a few drinks, and you're trying to impress that person, and you say, by the way, I drive a Porsche. So that's what I'm saying. And I... It's like, oh, really? Oh, now I'm definitely going home with you because you drive a $100,000 car. Um, do you honestly think that a library is going to say, oh, boy, you do multiple genres? Trust me, they've already got a few hundred, if not several thousand people that work in multiple genres. The time will come. Let it come in due course when they reach out and say, Gloria, do you happen to do anything in that genre? or they're looking in that genre and you say, by the way, I can do that. But to say it right out of the gate or early in the relationship, it's like, by the way, I drive a Porsche, in my opinion. Um, Harvey says he smiles, I'm entertaining. Um, could you please pass this information along to my wife and kids? They think that I'm just corny as hell, uh, and my sense of humor is demented. Uh, but I'm glad that you smile a lot through my presentation, Harvey. Maybe you're demented like me, got <laughs> a birds of feather and all that. Uh, anyway, Edmund Rand, who's usually the voice of reason, I find, uh, having spent a lot of time with him on the forum, uh, or not on the forum, but uh, in the chat for, for these things over the years and meeting him at the library, or interviewing him for uh, a member profile. Um, I approach each library, suggestion from Edmund, I approach each library with one style of orchestral music I do, and that's it. Later on, down the line, if they ask for a different style, I'd pitch my music for it. See, there you go. Um, I'm making a note about something. And I'm sad to say our time is up. But I'm really glad that you guys hung out with us uh, today. This was a fun show. And, and, you know, I know we've covered this topic before, but I do tend to repeat topics because guess what? Not everybody watches every show or reads everything that I write or every video we put out or every newsletter that we publish. Um, but do please let us know when you get deals um, or placements. It's encouraging to other members and, you know, don't just tell your family and friends. Um, and, and I swear to God, when, when we have library owners and music soups that read our stuff um, and, and I hear from them. And so if, if you are in our newsletter, then they could read about that and reach out to you. We just had a case where somebody had a placement because somebody, a library owner, I believe, saw one of our members make a comment about something in our forum and they reached out to that person 
and a deal resulted, and if I remember correctly, a placement resulted from all that. So thank you everybody for joining me. Um, don't forget, next week we're gonna do a whole episode on if you can use loops at all in library music productions. Um, if you can, how can you use them legally and safely? Um, and with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Have a great evening, everybody, and thanks for watching. Bye-bye.